Let's turn in our Bibles to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, and we will focus on verse 4. But uh, in order to set the context, I would like to begin reading back in chapter 9, text that we looked at last time, uh, beginning in verse 30. So we'll read Romans 9.30 through 10.4, but our focus is on chapter 10, verse 4. Let's briefly pray. And now, Father, it is no small thing that we can turn to your word, and we pray that we will in no way disregard it. But while it is still called today, may we take heed to your word, and may we, your people, submit to its every teaching including, Father, the great theme of this chapter tonight in this verse, so that we might understand what it means that we are saved by grace, that we may deepen our understanding of these things, that the Spirit may teach us deeply, and that we may eschew everything that would lead us astray or away from Christ, who alone is our righteousness. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Romans 9 beginning with verse 30. This is the word of God. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For... Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, the theme of righteousness is the great and grand theme of the book of Romans. There are many themes, of course, but this is an overarching theme. And it goes all the way back, you will remember, to chapter 1, verse 16, in which Paul tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so what Paul has done throughout the the entirety of the section that we have looked at in the book of Romans, really, is to show how sinners who have no righteousness of our own can be accredited righteousness and accounted righteous in the throne room of God. Now, in the context of verse 4, which says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, you will note that in chapter uh, 10, verse 3, he uses the little word for. Now, for is picking up everything that he has just said in the section that we have studied previously, in which, in particular, he tells us that the Jew, the religious man, if you will, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, but they did not succeed in becoming righteous or being declared righteous. 
And so carnal Israel did not want the righteousness that is by faith, which is the only way in which we can be declared righteous in God's court of law. What did they want? They wanted to establish their own righteousness. Now again, even though he is speaking primarily of the Jew in the first century A.D., this is true of any religious person who thinks that by something he does, some performance of his own, some work of his own, he can somehow contribute something to his acceptance with God. And so this is fairly universally applicable, wouldn't you agree? Now we come then to this great verse, verse 4, and we want to ask some questions of it. What does Christ being the end of the law mean? Let's focus on the word law. Verse 4, Christ is the end of the law. What does the law mean? Well, the law means the moral law, as we have seen as we have studied this book. The two tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written, which came on Mount Sinai in flame and smoke and with the shaking of the mountain, in order that we might see that God has given to us a law of inflexible justice. Undoubtedly, he also means the temple, and he means the offerings, and he means the sacrificial system. But these have relevance and meaning only because of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, as the Jews call them. So what did the law demand? The law, as we have seen also in our study of Romans, demanded strict obedience. By strict, we mean perfect, perpetual obedience. It demands to be kept. When the law comes, the law says to the sinner, keep me, obey me, and do so in absolute perfection. What can the law do but place this demand? The law is holy, and it is just, and it is good. The law reflects the divine perfection of the lawgiver. What was the summary of the law after all? We read the summary of the law in Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now that being the case, how could it be possible that the law could demand anything less than absolute perfection? And the second demand was like unto it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, has anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ ever kept this law? Has anyone ever obeyed this law with perfection? Has anyone ever done so? Well, no, the answer is no. And the result of disobedience to the law of God, according to the third chapter of the book of Galatians, is the curse of the law. That we are under condemnation and we are under wrath by nature, Because we have broken the law of God. Sin is any one of conformity to or transgression of the law of God we have just confessed together earlier in the service. And so since the law placed this demand, this is why God intended it all along to be, again as Paul says in Galatians, a schoolmaster to bring Israel to Christ, to drive them to Christ. When the Jews saw the law, they were to say, I can't keep this. I can't fully obey this. I cannot keep this perfectly. I need a redeemer. So that throughout redemptive history, Israel would be pushed and pushed and pushed to the coming one who is the lawkeeper and who paid the penalty of the broken law. Never has any Jew or Gentile been saved by attempts to obey the law of God. 
Never has anyone been justified by keeping the law. The law could only show us our sin. The law could only bring condemnation. It could not forgive. And it could not enable us to keep it either. It has no power to help you to obey the law. The law has no power to help you obey the law. In the hand of the Holy Spirit, the law can show us our need of the cleansing blood of Christ, however. And the law shows us our utter helplessness. Have you seen this helplessness? Are you one who has seen in the depths of your soul that you are utterly and completely helpless before the perfection of God's divine law? And that if ever you are to be saved, it cannot be by any work or performance of your own. What the law could not do, the law could not atone for your sins on the cross of Calvary. The law could not bear the wrath of God in your place as your substitute. The law could not redeem you from your sins. The law could not cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The law could not cry out, it is finished. The law could never be a substitute for sinners. The law could never obey the law that you broke. The law could never pay the penalty of the broken law. The law could never reconcile you to God. The law could never justify any sinner. The law could only come to you with all of its divine perfection and say, Obey me, and if you do not, you are condemned. How then could sinners be saved? Well, the Apostle Paul knows that this is such the fundamental question. As Martin Luther later would say, justification is the standing or falling doctrine of the church. It's something to which he comes over and over and over again, and so should we. We should never tire of returning to this great theme of justification by grace alone through the work of Christ alone. Which leads us to the second thing that we want to see here in verse 4. Notice it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So, Christ is the, we've seen what the law means. What does it mean that Christ is the end of the law? Let's focus on that little word, end. The meaning of end here in this passage I have to tell you, is one of the greatest debates in the study of the book of Romans throughout the study of the book of Romans in the church history. Uh, there are two primary choices. Uh, first, it can mean, according to some, that Christ is the end of the Mosaic economy, the end of the Mosaic law, meaning that Christ put an end completely to the Mosaic economy, the Ten Commandments, some say, certainly the uh, sacrificial system, he concludes the law. If that view is taken, in order to be true to Paul, you must say that this was the Jews' approach to the law, since Paul makes it plain that never has anyone at any time been saved by the law. Law was never intended by God as a mean, as a way, in order to be righteous with him. The other view sees Paul as saying that the word is the word end here means the goal or the purpose of the law. Now, I'm extremely inclined to this view and believe that it is the correct view. End, then, does not mean that the, in the old dispensation, sinners were saved by works, in the new by faith. Christ has put an end to the old way of salvation. No, that's not what it means. 
In the old, sinners were saved by faith in Christ just as much as in the new. The law has never been the way that sinners were declared righteous. You recall the fourth chapter of the book of Romans. What are we told there? We are told there that Abraham, and then another example from the Old Testament is David. How were they justified? By law? No, not by law, but by faith of Christ. The law has never been the way that sinners were declared righteous. End, then, does not mean that Christ removed the law from having any moral authority over those who are justified. How could Christ end, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, or you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart? End means Christ has met the aim of the law. The end in view has been met by Christ. Love to God. Love to man. Temple. Sacrifice. Christ met its aim. Christ met its end. He fulfilled the very purpose of the law. The great end of the law as schoolmaster, to use Paul's language from Galatians, has been met in Christ. So that now, by faith in Christ, we are now adjudged righteous. So the meaning is that the Jews attempted to establish their own righteousness by works, but in this they failed to understand that Christ was the purpose of the law. The goal to which the entirety of the law of God pointed was Christ and his redemption. C.E.B. Cranfield, in his commentary on Romans, says this, For Christ is the goal of the law, and it follows that a status of righteousness is available to everyone who believes. The Jews and their legalistic quest after a righteous status of their own earning have failed to recognize and accept the righteous status which God was seeking to give them. For all along, had they but known it, Christ was the goal and the meaning and substance of that law which they were so earnestly pursuing." And the righteousness to which the law was summoning them was all the time nothing other than the righteousness which God offers to men in Christ. So, in other words, when the Apostle Paul says that Christ is the end of the law to all who believe, this is only another way of saying that we are justified only through the righteousness of Christ. He is the one who fulfills the whole purpose of the law which was to drive us out of ourselves, out of our self-righteousness, unto the one who can give righteousness. So Paul is teaching again this great doctrine of justification by grace through faith. Now again, this is something that I want constantly to keep before us because I think we live in biblical proportion when we do keep that at the forefront. Recently I read an illustration of justification that I had never read before in an old divine He says this, we read in British history of a Lord Nithsdale who was sentenced to death for a great political crime. He was closely confined in prison after his trial. The day of his execution was fixed. There seemed no chance of escape. And yet before the sentence was carried into effect, he contrived to escape through the skill and affection of his wife. She visited him in prison and exchanged clothes with him. Dressed in his wife's clothes, he walked out of prison and escaped, and neither guards nor keepers detected him, while his wife remained behind in his place. In short, 
she risked her own life to save the life of her husband. Who would not admire the skill and the love of such a wife as this, even if we don't admire the husband who left her there? (laughs) But we read in gospel history of a display of love compared to which the love of Lady Nithsdale is nothing. We read of Jesus, the Son of God, coming down to a world of sinners who neither cared for him before he came nor honored him when he appeared. We read of him going down to the prison house and submitting to be bound, that we, the poor prisoners, might be able to go free. We read of him becoming obedient to death and that the death of the cross, that we, the unworthy children of Adam, might have a door open to life everlasting. We read of him being content to bear our sins and carry our transgressions that we might wear his righteousness and walk in the light and liberty of the sons of God. This may well be called a love which passeth knowledge. In no way could free grace ever have shown so brightly as in the way of justification by Christ. Do you see what the illustration is saying and what the text is teaching us is that because of Jesus' substitution in your place, having become the end of the law, fulfilling its purpose. You walk away from the law's condemnation, scot-free, in Christ's clothes. And it's a wondrous thing, is it not? I think I've told some of you about my friend Raymond Lamar Swanson. He was a Calvinistic Baptist, a wonderful preacher, He could preach rings around most ministers. I mean, he was a powerful preacher of the gospel of Christ. But he was never accepted in any church that he pastored, though he was a loving man of God. It was a very sad life. He died at age 42. He was one of my dearest friends. And I was privileged to be one of two ministers who preached his funeral. This man preached free grace. This man preached the electing grace of God, justifying righteousness through Christ. It was a marvel to behold. It was a wonderful thing. And there we were at his funeral, and someone, some ones, got up to sing a duet or a quartet. I don't remember, a number of years back now. A duet, I think. And they began to sing, May my works speak for me. And on it went, and on it unpacked, this whole works righteousness system, and I could hardly keep my seat. Frankly, I was a little surprised Raymond didn't, well, anyway... (laughs) So I actually had to get up, and I hope in a kind and gracious way to say, what you have heard is the opposite of what the Bible teaches, what the gospel is all about, and what Raymond Swanson preached. And yet we find, even in settings like that, religious people thinking that somehow they can contribute something to their own acceptance with God. When will we come to see and understand? And isn't this the purpose of the law? That if we see the law in all of its perfection, we come to understand, I can contribute nothing to my acceptance with God. Christ is the end of the law to all who believe. And then thirdly, as we look at verse 4, Christ is the end of the law unto righteousness. So let's focus on the word righteousness. We focused on the word law. We have focused on the word end. Now we focus on the word righteousness. We've seen that the law points to righteousness, perfect, personal, perpetual obedience, 
we have also seen that we cannot offer perfect, personal, perpetual obedience, but that Christ has done it for us. He did it as our great substitute. Christ then is the righteousness of this text. He and His work, what He has done, what He has achieved, this is the righteous robe that we need so that we may walk out of the prison cell of sin scot-free. We are declared righteous. Why? Because Christ is our righteousness. And I hardly begin to grasp it. As we were singing together tonight, Jesus, the very thought of thee with rapture fills my breast. And the hymnody spoke of the beauty of God. The beauty of God is so seen in the beauty of this wondrous plan of redemption that he has wrought in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hardly have words to express it. So what righteousness do we need? What righteous deed do I perform in order to be righteous? What righteous deed do you perform in order to be accepted? None. What do I do to be righteous? Nothing. What act of mine is acceptable to God for my justification? Not one thing. What must I do to be righteous? The Bible says, only believe in Christ. No work, no act, no deed, no performance, no righteousness of your own. Jesus has done all the doing necessary for the sinner's justification. So one of the old hymns somewhere says something to the effect, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Lay it down. If you think in some way your doing can make you right with God, lay it down. It's deadly doing because it is leaving you self-deceived. One of the old Anglican divines was Richard Hooker, and he says this, If God would make us an offer thus large, search all the generations of men since the fall of your father Adam, and find one man that hath done one action which hath passed him pure, from him pure, without any stain or blemish at all. And for that one man's one only action, neither man nor angel shall find the torments which are prepared for both. Do you think this ransom to deliver man and angels would be found among the sons of men? The best things we do have somewhat in them to be pardoned. How then can we do anything meritorious and worthy to be pardoned? How then can we do anything meritorious and worthy to be rewarded? And the old divine is right. No man can be justified in the slightest by his work or his performance. Only one man can answer the demands of the law. Only one man has come into this world who is pure and who could obey the law, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now again, why does the Apostle Paul stress faith? Notice again verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Why does he stress faith? By faith is apart from works. Verse 32 of chapter 9, he says, Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. And so by faith and works are constantly contrasted in this great matter of justification. Uh, 
by faith in Christ because he provides the righteousness the law demands but could not provide. By faith you can point to the great surety on Calvary and say, Law, here is the one who meets your demands. Law, here is the one who obeyed in my place. Law, here is the one who rendered perfect, perpetual obedience for me. Divine justice was answered by him there. He died on my behalf. Charles Spurgeon, in his autobiography, has a section in which he talks about many who came to faith in his ministry. There was one that gave a testimony that was, uh, at one point when I read it, very meaningful to me. This man said this, The first time I came to hear Mr. Spurgeon in the tabernacle, it was the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, The first time I came to hear Mr. Spurgeon in the tabernacle, if you had asked me about myself, I should have told you that I was as religious a man as ever lived in Newington, and as good a man, certainly, as ever formed part of any congregation. But all this was reversed when I heard the gospel that day. I came out of the building with every feather plucked out of me. I felt myself the most wretched sinner who could go on the face of the earth. And I said, I will never go to hear that man again, for he has altogether spoiled me. But that was the best thing which could have happened to me. I was made to look away from myself and all that I could do to God and to his omnipotent grace and to understand that I must pass under my creator's hand again, or I could never see his face with joy. I learned to loathe my own righteousness as filthy rags, fit only for the fire. And then I sought to be robed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. That's true conversion. I see myself a sinner. I have nothing to offer. My own righteousnesses are as but filthy rags. I need the perfection of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God converted George Whitfield and he began to preach in England, the more he preached the gospel, the more the churches were closed to him. And so he went out into the fields. And on one momentous occasion, he went and there were thousands upon thousands of coal miners that came to hear him preach, their faces blackened with coal. And when he preached to those coal miners in England, he saw their faces streamed with tears as they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, most of them, and as they gave their hearts to Jesus by faith. And as the soot washed away their tears, he wrote in his diary, as these poor colliers had no righteousness of their own, they therefore gloried in him who came to save publicans and sinners. Well, can you join with those coal miners tonight? Uh, Can you say... I have no righteousness of my own. Christ is the end of the law. I trust him for that. I have nothing to offer. My heart, if not my eyes, weeps over sin and weeps with joy that the righteousness of Christ is provided to those who trust in Jesus. I join with those coal miners tonight. And by faith you can say, Christ is the end of the law. In my case, he is the end of the law. For me, Christ is my only righteousness. Can you say that? Can you say tonight, Christ is the end of the law in my case. Christ died for me. Christ is my Lord. He is my Savior. 
He is my justification. He is altogether, completely, my righteousness in the presence of God. Can you say that? May the Lord enable you by faith so to do.